Welcome once again to our podcast session of our worship service for Sunday. This is the worship service for Sunday, April 18th. That's the 58th pandemic worship, and it is also the third Sunday of Easter. You may, in fact, be hearing this before or after the broadcast date. That's the beauty of podcasts, is that we have enabled a certain level of convenience. Well, welcome once again in this season of Easter. The central theme of the church as is the resurrection, of course, and it is repeatedly explored and hopefully applied to our lives. We have good news for the world. He lives, and in him we can live too. We have a brand new website, and I want you to be aware of it so that you might find out more about our church and be connected. You can uh, learn a little bit more about us. Now, that website is still under some development, but it is it is usable, and you will be able to find out everything from uh, what's going on to how to connect, and even if you want to donate, you can do so that way. The website address is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. Weebly is... W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. First Baptist Church of Madison dot Weebly dot com. We hope you will check that out. And uh, I want to present to you today a message that uh, I have entitled The Mind of a Resurrection Person. Well, today, uh, this coming Sunday, will be a momentous day. It is a day we're attempting to do something which we've been preparing to do for nearly a year. We have now reopened our Sunday morning worship utilizing special COVID-19 protocols determined by a special committee last summer. We also continued unabated to provide safe worship for those who must now remain at home, whether you are here in person or with us through radio, Facebook, or podcast, we welcome you. For those not able to physically be present, Allow me a moment to describe for you what the transitional form of worship is like. Everyone in the church has had their temperature taken. Everyone is wearing a mask. Everyone is seated at a safe distance. Our offering plates have become our offering box. There are no bulletins, no hymnals, no responsive readings or singing. Hugging and kissing are discouraged for now. Some may even wonder if it is church at all, and that is a question I am eager to address. The fact is, this may be church now more than ever before. The reason lies in our perception. The true nature of church is not in the traditions and the culture of worship with which we are comfortable, but in the desire for experiencing God to know Him in the first and last place in our lives. We can easily be tempted to think of our church experience as a consumer. And as consumers, we desire that which makes us the happiest. The fact is, consumer Christianity has just about killed off true worship before the pandemic struck. Christianity, at least Christianity in this country, had been increasingly identified with a certain self-gratifying pleasure. Churches appealed for new members on the basis of an entertaining, titillating, high-tech worship. For the kids, there were playgrounds and trinkets, and for the youth, there was the tantalizing promise of socializing while having a fun mission trip ostensibly to help 
a poor church, while en route to an amusement park. Church was no longer a people trying to follow Jesus, but a building or a program designed to meet a private need. When it failed to deliver the goods, it was perfectly reasonable to move on to the next vendor and the next and the next. Perhaps a year of contemplation has made it possible for us to refocus our understandings a bit. Maybe it has given us another chance to hear the message of the gospel. One thing I hope is more than evident, the church of Jesus Christ is now and has always been the people who follow Jesus. And furthermore, we really do need each other. We need to come together to love and care one for another and to join hands to help those who do not yet know the love of God. We have work to do together. What draws us together is our resurrection minds. Because of Christ's resurrection, everything about our lives is changed. We are imbued with a new hope, a changed perspective that draws us into fellowship and compels us to give our lives away for others. I do believe that is the kind of church our Lord established and is the kind of church that will survive and thrive into the future. Today, I want us to think about that resurrection mindset. I want you to think about your frame of mind from a biblical perspective by starting with the question, how is the person who trusts in God able to endure difficult times? To answer that, let's start with the poetry of one who anticipated the deliverance of God long before the events that led to the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our scripture text this morning is from Psalm a psalm of David, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. The psalm composed by David gives witness to his mindset. His heart was confident in God in a way that we can also be. If we will have the mind of a resurrection person, then we too may embrace these same ideas that sustained a Jewish shepherd who would one day be Israel's most famous king. But before he got there, he had some troublesome times. No, David did not have to endure a pandemic, but he did live in fear of his life and the lives of his friends. You probably know his story already. I won't try to fill you in every detail recorded in the books of Samuel, but let me just remind you that before David ascended the throne, he had two big problems. The first of these was the sea people. Related to the Phoenician people who for a time controlled the Mediterranean Sea, the people called the Philistines lived to the west of the Jews. 
Their territories overlapped, and that caused a state of constant warfare. In many ways, the Philistines were more advanced in technology and warfighting capabilities than the Jews. Yet the Jews resisted and fought hard and for a long time against this determined foe. As a young man, David was a warrior in the army of King Saul. He faced many dangerous and life-threatening situations in the performance of his duty. The second grave threat to David was King Saul himself. Saul was a man who grew increasingly paranoid and suspicious. He became very jealous of David when he realized that the people of the kingdom admired him perhaps even more than they admired their king. And so it was that David not only had to watch out for the Philistines, but he had to also watch his back from his own king. Now, that is not the same as going through a pandemic, but it is a stress of life that can help us relate to the words of this psalm. Now you know the background for the poetry. Let's look at it a bit more closely. Let me share David's words with you again, but this time I'll be reading from another translation called The Voice. Answer my prayers, O true God, the righteous who makes me right. I was hopelessly surrounded and you rescued me. Once again, hear me, hide me in your favor, bring victory and defeat and hope and hopelessness. How long will you sons of Adam steal my dignity, reduced my glory to shame? Why pine for the fruitless and dream a delusion? Understand this, the eternal one treats as special those like him. The eternal will answer my prayers and save me. Think long, think hard. When you are angry, don't let it carry you into sin. When night comes, in calm, be silent. From this day forward, offer to God the right sacrifice from a heart made right by God. Entrust yourself to the eternal. Crowds of disheartened people ask, who can show us what is good? Let your brilliant face shine upon us, O eternal one, that we may know the undeniable answer. You have filled me with joy, and happiness has risen in my heart. Great delight and unrivaled joy, even more than when bread abounds and wine flows freely. Tonight, I will sleep securely on a bed of peace, because I trust you, you alone, O Eternal One, will keep me safe. This was originally a song, a song of David's heart, and I hope before long it will also be a song in your hearts. Think with me about the ideas it expresses and see how our resurrection faith empowers our hope. In the first stanza, the singer addresses his needs directly to God. He asks for help to make good decisions. And then he appeals for divine protection, deliverance from oppression. And then adds this when he prays for victory in defeat and hope in hopelessness. I wonder, do you long for victory in defeat? And hope in hopelessness too? I do. And I think I know that most of you feel the same way. But here is the really good news I have for you today. That prayer, that prayer that looks toward God to bring us victory in our losses and restore hope in the darkness is just the kind of prayer we can pray and must pray. This is a prayer of someone whose mind is set on the truth of the resurrection. Only someone thoroughly convinced of a resurrection hope would dare pray in such a way. The next refrain of this psalm does not address God, but speaks to the people. In it, David asks for something simple. David asks for the truth. This is expressed better in the New Revised Version, so let me read from that. He asks, How long 
Will you love vain words and seek after lies? The Bible is amazingly consistent on this topic. From cover to cover, it warns not only about telling lies, but also of passing along lies and enabling liars. I recently read a part of the Mosaic Law that not only puts that well, but sounds a strong note for a contemporary scene where liars abound and conspiracy theories are passed along without scrutiny, even by people who read the Bible. Listen to the beginning of the 23rd chapter of Exodus and see if you agree. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. The resurrection is, at its heart, a story of truth. When we embrace the resurrection as our story, we desire for the truth to be revealed to all. Interestingly enough, even when the report of the empty tomb and the sightings of the risen Lord were first reported, so was the first conspiracy theory about the missing body begun. It is recorded in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. A story so preposterous that the gospel writer doesn't even bother to debunk it. The truth, however, was that Jesus really had risen, and because of that truth, those who become resurrection people will know victory and defeat and hope and hopelessness. The next statement made in this psalm indicates the mind of a resurrection person. Only one who embraces the resurrection as reality can confidently say this, but believing this makes all the difference. Referring to God, David says, the eternal will answer my prayers and save me. David, in all of his difficulty, believed that ultimately God would deliver him. The resurrection is our assurance that this is so. No matter how bad it is on Friday, Sunday is coming. The church that believes that is a resurrection church. The person who believes that will be a resurrection person. There is much to meditate on in this psalm, but I'd like to move on to the next declarative statement made by the singer. Remember, the first was, the eternal will answer my prayers and save me. The second statement, conditional upon acceptance of the first, is this, entrust yourself to the eternal. Did you notice that in both of these statements, God is referred to as the eternal? In the Navy and Marine Corps family, we are blessed to share in some beautiful traditions that are imbued with great meaning. Fortunately, one of those traditions extends beyond the heroic exploits of the brave who preceded us. It goes to the very foundations of courage and determination that have enabled the great and selfless deeds of the past. The song, often called the Navy Hymn, is found in some form or the other in most hymnals. The hymn refers to God in the same way. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm hath bound the restless wave. The sea can be a fearful place. To be on a disturbed ocean far from land is disorienting and even terrifying. One who finds him or herself in such a situation is bound to consider if they are truly alone or if there is indeed a presence, an eternal presence that can be relied upon. This is, of course, the meaning of resurrection, 
God is eternal. God has always been and will always be. The seas may change from calm to tempest, but the eternal remains. And to Him, we can turn with our hopes and fears, our victories and our defeats. Resurrection people hold fast because they know they can entrust themselves to the eternal God. David then does something to contrast the attitude of those who believe in the eternal with those who do not embrace the resurrection God. He says, crowds of disinterested people ask, who can show us what is good? There is an inevitable and avoidable despair that overwhelms those who do not have a mind for the resurrection. When darkness crowds in, when death and danger are daily realities, the ones who cannot believe will wonder if there is any good or bad at all. But this is not so in the mind of the resurrection person. The next line explains, Let your brilliant face shine upon us, O eternal one, that we may know the undeniable answer. You have filled me with joy, and happiness has risen in my heart. Great delight and unrivaled joy, even more than when bread abounds and wine flows freely. What do you think is the undeniable answer? I think it is the idea of eternal life found in the eternal God. Believing, really believing, that makes you a resurrection person. The conclusion of this psalm touches me rather deeply and personally. The first prayer I ever learned is perhaps the first prayer you learn too. The way I learned it reminds me of David's prayer. It goes, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That reminds me much of David's words. Tonight I will sleep securely on a bed of peace because I trust you. You alone, O Eternal One, will keep me safe. David shows us that you do not have to be a kid to pray that prayer. All you have to be is a person, a resurrection person, one whose entire life is now defined by the eternal and whose hope is found in him. I ask you today to ask yourself what kind of person you are. Are you despairing, disappointed, hopeless, and afraid? Well, you do not need to be. The eternal is on your side. You can trust him. You can have the mind of a resurrection person. The choice is yours. Let us pray. Eternal God, teach us what that means. Eternal. Teach us that life is the truth and death is the lie. Help us to believe the resurrection you gave us. Help us know it is the reality, the truth, the power of your love to help us be truly free and alive. The people of the resurrection you have called us to be. Amen. I pray that you have a wonderful week. And remember always our benediction. And I will close with that. No matter what you have done or become or promised to be, never forget that God made you knows all about you, and loves you unconditionally. May His divine love change you from the inside out, and when it does, you'll know what grace really is. Even more realize that this pervasive, persistent, and powerful force called grace is the best thing you'll ever discover. And when it finds you, your eyes will be opened, and you will see there's nothing but grace.